I ended up finding out that they found us through Instagram because we didn't have a website. We were actually, I was on my way. We were going to have a noon launch that day for the website. And I got an email that I thought was an e-blast because, you know, it said net a and I was just, of course, this must be an e-blast. They're not actually reaching out to me. It didn't even cross my mind. And then when I opened it, I realized that they wanted to review the line and we didn't even have a website yet. So they found us for, on Instagram. So kudos to the buyers that they can really find amazing independent, you know, new and upcoming brands that way. And that's when we decided, I guess this is something real. We need to really explore this and take it seriously. Hi, and welcome to the official Laughs podcast. My name is Estefania Lacayo, and along with Samantha Tams, we founded the Latin American Fashion Summit, a global platform for Latin American fashion and design. In our podcast sessions, we aim to bring you enriching and inspiring conversations with designers, entrepreneurs, leaders, activists, and newcomers, and share their powerful stories with you. Thank you for being here. We hope you enjoy the following conversation. Welcome to the Laughs Podcast. Today, I am thrilled to have with us Christy Mantilla, the co-founder of the brand Ilio. This brand, known for its beautiful, colorful, and resort-inspired pieces, effortlessly transports you to the stunning beaches around the globe. A celebrity favorite, especially noted for adorning Harry Styles with the iconic pearl necklaces, Elio has made a significant mark in the fashion world. Co-founded with her best friend, Dura Texera, Elio is a story of creativity, passion, and friendship. Christy, welcome to the Laughs Podcast. Hi, it's so nice to be here. Thank you. So thanks so much for taking it. Um, I've been really wanting to do this. Like I just was telling you guys earlier, Christy started with Duda, the brand Eliu. By the way, am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, you are, Eliu. That means what? What is the definition? So when we were starting the brand, and then there's a whole story about it, which I'm sure we'll get into at some point, we needed to come up with a name. And when we were thinking about a name that reflected, we reflected on different ideas um, which Elio could be either a person or a place. And so we came up with this five-letter word that we thought could either be a beach town that you visit uh, throughout your summer vacations, maybe in the south of France or in, or in Italy, or it could also be a person's name, either a guy, like a, a male or a female. So it's supposed to be more of a feeling um, that could sit between either a person or a place. And it just gives you this sense of... Uh, of exploration and summer and just joy. Which is exactly what your jewelry reflects, joy, the beach. Um, so let's talk about a little bit about, it's. by the way, it's huge congrats on what you guys have created. I've been a fan. I love this type of jewelry. So I came across the jewelry really myself. I think it was through Net-A-Porte or one of the e-coms. And, and then someone told me that, one of you guys or both of you guys were Latin and I was like, that's wonderful. And I was just, but you know, I just completely fell in love with the brand. So I'm really happy to be sharing your story. So let's go back to the beginning. Before, when I started working um, for the content of this podcast, obviously I started doing a lot of, a little bit of research on, on different interviews that you guys have received and on your bios and all that. And both of you guys are best friends since you guys are seven, right? Correct. Yeah. I've known Dula. I met her in school and we met in first grade and uh, we've been kind of friends ever since. Where did you go to school? So we grew up in Key Biscayne and we both went to the public school there, K 
KBCS. That's wonderful. So, you know, I live in Kiviskane. I'm actually oh. there. You speak. I wish I still lived there. I don't live there anymore, but hopefully, you know, one day I can go back. It's a wonderful place to raise kids. I mean, I, I lived in New York for, I don't know, 21, 22 years and I moved during COVID and it's, I never, ever thought I was going to live in Miami, to be honest. And I'm very happy because my kids are young and it's just, it's paradise. And I always say it, if I wouldn't live in Kiviskane, I would be back in New York. Yep. Um, like there's no intermediate for me um, because I just think it's a wonderful place. Uh, that's wonderful that you guys um, grew up in Kiviskane. So let's go back to the beginning of the brand. So you guys have been friends for a long time and you guys had an agency, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, to take it even further back, Dula and I met in Key Biscayne, Um, And what kind of brought us together was the fact that we both really loved working with our hands and making things. And we found that we were both creative and we thought outside of the box. And so before Elu we had a creative agency and we started that when we were about 24 years old and we worked together there. And that lasted for about four years. And then the pandemic came, but actually the real story here is what happened was we started creating jewelry on the side and we were creating jewelry for a lot of our photo shoots and a lot of, cause we were doing a lot of styling and set design. The creative agency consisted in what? So her and I, we were doing a lot of styling work for different different brands here in Miami. Um, we were kind of figuring out what we were doing. We realized Miami had this whole void of creative people. There just wasn't anybody out here doing a lot of styling work or editorial type things. No one was doing a lot of graphic design. There was just a big void in overall creative different elements. And her and I, we both have graphic design backgrounds. We worked as stylists before together when we were, because um, even before the agency, we worked at Alexis. And we did all of their styling. We did all of their photo shoot production. Um, we did all of their set builds. And so we took a lot of what we learned while we were there. And then we created our own agency and we started offering those services to different brands and people in Miami. And that's what we did for a while. And that's what we did when we were young and we were starting up. And, and it started to actually finally, after you know, just the hustle and grind um, in your early 20s, we started to finally get quite successful with it um, and built a pretty good community of client and roster of clients. We were working with Prada, which was amazing and doing different things with the design district um, and just started to get a really good grip of things. But while we were doing that and while things are finally starting to, to grow for the business, we were creating jewelry, handmade jewelry. And a lot of that was for different clients that we had. So if we had a photo shoot and they wanted something to style back to, because a lot of the work that we did was um, styling as well, we would bring different jewelry on set. And that's that was something that we'd make and we would do it just, just for the purpose of that of that client to give them something exclusive just for them. And, and it's because you wouldn't find what you guys had in mind for that editorial shoot? Sometimes we didn't. And sometimes, I mean, in, it, sometimes it's hard when you have a vision and something doesn't exist. And that's kind of how Elu came to be, where we had all of these ideas and creative aspirations. And so we built a band off of that. But the way that it happened was so organic um, that it came through. It all started when we were facilitating like different photo shoots and bringing different pieces. And little by little, we started realizing that they really liked them and they were pretty good. And then people wanted to buy them. And so it all started very, very casually. And then we thought, well, why don't we just, we're making these pieces of jewelry you know, we did a lot of swim work because we were based in Miami. So a lot of a lot of the stuff we do was swim based. And we're like, why don't we just 
kind of sell some stuff on the side. We're making them anyways. We enjoy, you know, the cathartic experience of working with your hands and making the jewelry. It wasn't, it was fun for us. So we'll just do that and sell it on the side. And then we created an Instagram account, had a few followers, the friends and family, and we didn't even have a website yet. So, and at that time, the brand was named Koki uh, because it was the, the pieces that we were designing were really based off shells and pearls and things that it was, it was in the beginning, we did a lot of things that were revolved around ocean and beach and sand and vacation. Um, and we still have a lot of those elements today too, but that was, it was very specifically that in the beginning. And, um, and then what kind of started to change for us is when we were going to, so we had developed our website ourselves because we knew how to do that, right? We know how to build a website. We shot all the images ourselves. Um, we did all the production. And when we were going to launch our website, we got a request from net requesting to see the brand and wanting to review the line. And this was... Point, so when Net-A-Porte reaches out, at this point, you had already like figured out your price points on your income. I mean, you're probably just having what, like your friends, you're having what, a few transactions a month probably. because yes, you yeah. I had a whole home. other, we had a whole other business. We had finally hired a, a full-time employee. Um, we were traveling a lot for work. Things were really picking up. And um, we did this on the side. We, we did have, like, I did understand how to do margins and things like that. So the numbers at the time were different than they are now, but just a couple of transactions, friends and family, mainly. Um, never expecting this to grow into what it is today. I mean, truly, sometimes did it's Did you well. ask the NetApporte buyer how they found you? I ended up finding out that they found us through Instagram because we didn't have a website. We were actually, I was on my way we were going to have a noon launch that day for the website. And I got an email that I thought was an e-blast because, you know, it said Net-A-Porte and I was just, of course, this must be an e-blast. They're not actually reaching out to me. It didn't even cross my mind. And then when I opened it, I realized that they wanted to review the line and we didn't even have a website yet. So they found us for, on Instagram. So kudos to the buyers that they can really find amazing independent, you know, new and upcoming brands that way. Totally. Um, and that's when we decided... I guess this is something real. We need to really explore this and take it seriously. And so... So what, you went to, you met Netaporte, what, overseas? You met them in Paris, in London? No, we actually just sent them the collection. We sent them a line sheet. We knew how, I, I knew how to make a line sheet. So I made a line sheet. We sent them the collection. Um, they reviewed it physically um, in their London offices. And then for that first order, they placed... Uh, they placed an order like that. Uh, we never actually met. I have met them now, of course, through different appointments, but that first one, we never actually met. That's wonderful. And then at that point, what do you guys decide? Do you guys get that first PO? Do you guys decide, at what point do you guys decide on closing the agency? So we kept them both going for as long as we could. Um, obviously, we get only one order from Net-A-Porte. It was a massive order, um, something that, you know, was a huge challenge um, to produce because all of our jewelry was, is handmade. Um, Actually, at that time, where are you producing at that point? Because at that point you were producing for friends. It was tiny orders, whoever you were producing with. When no, it you was moved crazy. into NAP, it was you're producing overseas or you keep it in Miami? 
So in the beginning, we we handled both, right? We took on less clients when we were doing the creative agency work and we were using every dollar that we made there and we were funneling it into the production for this Net-A-Porter order and getting our online orders. And, 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 and when we launched the website, at least locally in Miami, it started to perform. But we also had to handle all of this pre-production and, you know, procure all the materials and hire labor and find people and train them. I'm 28 years old at this time and I... Thought I had something going on on one side and I was like, okay, after we launched Elu, which by the way was called Koki, we had to do, um, we had to change our name, you know, to find a legal name that was available um, and not trade and to trademark it. So that's how the name Elu came to be when, when we went through like a small rebrand, when we were like, okay, this is something, this is something real. We're going to turn this into a brand. Um, and I, that was probably one of the more, I mean, it was always fun, but it was one of the more stressful times when we had this big PO, we didn't have enough money to, to, to figure it out. We had to supplement every dollar. So we'd work a job and we'd put that money in and we'd like buy materials and then we'd work a job and then we'd put that money in and then we'd, you know, find different people and pay them every two weeks. And so it was this really big whirlwind, crazy experience of how to produce a massive order. It was like 1200 pieces. And I, I don't quote me on that because I'd have to go back. It's been five years now, um, but it was a massive order and I had no help, no labor, um, no experience in offering anything outside of a service. I was, we were a service-based business at first. And so in the end, I mean, we found people, we hired them, we trained them. We ended up having at the, you know, the last two weeks before delivering I had friends and family show up and we were like, I need everybody's help. Like, let's hit this table. Everybody help me, you know, I'll train you how to do this. And and I did. I had at that point, even friends and family show up when we needed to get the order out. We're so much more organized now and we have a of full- Of course, business. 100%. But that was that first initial order where it was, hi, we're net a portée. We'd like to place an order. And we're like, yes, we'll do it. They place an order and we're like, yes, yes, yes. Just kind of being yes people. And we just figured it out along the way. Um, it was crazy, but we did it. I always say this. I mean, as an entrepreneur, you just have to figure it out. There's no time to waste on trying to like put together business plans. You just got to go out there and figure it out. There's no way around it. It's the way. The thing for you guys is you guys had this learning curve with one of the biggest accounts that people dream on having, right? So it was like your biggest learning curve is your first order where you uh-huh. can't really fuck it up, right? Um, At all. So... And one other thing that people need to understand is like, it's wonderful. Okay, getting the first order, but it's like, you guys have done another thing that's amazingly, yeah. Getting into Netaporte, getting into mattress, self are just wonderful. But staying in there, that's a different story because many people can get that first PO, but staying in for many, many seasons, that's a very different story. So you guys don't have any background. When do you guys start hiring do you guys have a showroom now? Like, because obviously now you guys have an amazing Rolodex of different wholesale accounts with a wonderful direct consumer. And we then we will talk about the whole celebrity placement that is just wonderful. But what has that road been like? Because, you know, one of the biggest challenges that I'm constantly talking to entrepreneurs. And before that, I was, you know, a buyer for many years and a consultant for many years. And yeah, staying in is extremely challenging and also extremely cost-effective. Meaning, it's not, it's it's you know, 
it sounds really beautiful to have a fashion line and an accessories line. <laughs> extremely, extremely, extremely expensive. Um, and to survive through COVID and to survive through economic crisis, it's it's really challenging, you know, and, it's, and you guys have been able to navigate through all this crisis. How has that been? And what's been the approach of now wholesale versus direct consumer? Um, so I guess it's just a few different questions. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my first... My first thought with some of the questions that you answered is uh, I've, I've listened to a lot of other podcasts um, throughout this journey and seeing how other other founders of businesses in, in the creative industry, whether it's clothing or whether it's apparel or jewelry, what their story is like. And sometimes I, and for the most part, most people or brands, they start a brand and, and it takes some time to wind up and, and, and get into the public eye. It's not often that day one before you even have a brand, it, it kind of explodes. And that, because that's kind of what happened to our brand. We, if we didn't have a website, when we launched our website, we had the celebrity placement, which will, which was an organic thing, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And so we kind of exploded really quickly. And the pandemic actually brought a lot of um, viewership to our website and to our brand. And I've, there's a specific podcast with, um, uh, a female that she had started a brand and she she made this quote, this comment, which I'll, I'll remember forever, where she said that she didn't start really picking up until her 10th year. And she can't imagine, she couldn't imagine having gotten to where she's gotten in the public light without having gone through those first crucial 10 years of learning and exploring and figuring things out before being in the public eye where people know the name of your brand and it's starting to become more popular and you know, you're being picked up by all these accounts. And I sat with that and I remember thinking, wow, you know, we never got that experience. Every since the day we started this brand, it's been go, 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 figure it out, like keep it going, going, keep it running, you know, be creative, think outside the box. So as we, you know, we now offer ready to wear in addition to the jewelry. And it's been such an amazing journey because we are naturally creative and Duda and I are super hungry, ambitious women. And that's just been ingrained in our soul since we met each other. But I think that I only can speak from a place of where I'm at, which is, you know, a brand that came to popularity in the public eye day one. There are challenges with that and learning and growth. We were lucky with the pandemic that we did grow and we did gain all of these wholesale accounts and our direct to consumer has been really strong. Um, and I think we were just at the right place at the right time and the designs were something that people thought were fresh and different and wanted something new. And we were able to cater and provide that within, you know, an atmosphere where things were very dreary during the pandemic. And we were a happy jewelry brand that had color and something different. And, um, and it's just been amazing to learn. Now we have a team, you know, a proper team that can help us or help, you know, help us do the night, figure out how to navigate this ship and keep it moving forward and continue to grow. But yeah, we've we've had a lot of hiccups along the way and a lot of learning curves. And it's been a beautiful journey, but I cannot sugarcoat that it has not also had its extreme challenges. Especially as like, you know, you said that we we you had made a comment in the beginning when we were doing our intro about a brand that's like already made it. And I don't even find that that we have made it. I still feel we are very much in this startup figuring it out growth phase. There's so much more that I see for Elio. There's this whole other life. And so I still think of us as a very young brand that's getting its, that's still planting its roots in the ground. Um, 
But on the outside, sometimes, at least from what I've learned, people find that the brand is really big and we probably have all these employees, but we're still a small team. Um, and we're really strong and like small, but very strong team. And we're, we're just going to keep growing. Yeah. You said a few things that are so key that I think it's silver lining for you guys, but also I believe that you guys have a really wonderful and unique product, you know, because when we think about, you know, costume jewelry, entry-level price point, mm-hmm. I mean, the market has always been extremely saturated. It's not like you guys are reinventing the wheel, but then again, the product is very unique. It's, you know, it's very quirky. It's gender neutral. I think you guys really took it outside the park with the component of, and you guys were, it's not like you guys were trying to be nurture, gender neutral. It just, it was very true to both of you guys. Both of you guys come from a, a very creative background. Obviously it was very going to be very ingrained in your DNA. And then all this inclusivity component happens. COVID happens, huge resort market booms. This type of product starts selling very well. So it, there's a lot of things that have been, great for you guys. So I do believe that sometimes things, it's the right time at the right place. But also, if you if you wouldn't have had that really great price point and that great product and, and you guys wouldn't have been ready as entrepreneurs, well, it would have been like just a product, a one-time success, you know? So I yeah. think that's why I think it's really wonderful what, I, what you built because I I see so many brands come and go on, you know, they get into mode up brand, internet up day, and it's just a one or two season thing, you know, and for brands to really survive, especially survive big economic crisis, you know, especially if you're a younger brand that has not raised capital or institutional money, you know, it, it's not, it's, it's challenging. It comes with a lot of big challenge. It sounds really exciting and sexy, but it does come with challenges. So I kudos to you guys, because I think it's wonderful when you guys have created Thank you. Tell me a little bit about the both of you, best friends. I also have a business partner and we also have a wonderful relationship as partners, but I also had a partnership in my past life with a business that I had where it didn't go well. Having your best friend as your business partner could be really great, but it also could come with a lot of challenges. How do you guys divide both of your the roles? Yeah, I get asked this question a lot and... It's, I, I feel like I have the perfect answer for it, but it's always how I've generally felt. So Dula and I work great together. And the reason why our specific relationship works is because overall, throughout whatever happens, she's my friend before she's my business partner. Even though these days she feels more like my business partner than my friend, because all we do, you know, like we talk about work and if we talk, if we deviate from talking about work for a minute, somehow it always comes back to that. And that's just because work has been so ingrained in our personal lives. But at the end of the day, she's my friend first and I've known her for so long. And so she's, she only has one brother and I have two brothers and we don't have sisters. And um, we kind of gravitated towards each other. And I find that she, you know, if I ever had a twin sister, that I had, you know, I imagine her as like this twin sister that I never had. And we've developed that really, really strong, close-knit relationship. And we've had that for years. And a lot, if you are someone who knows on, who knows Dula and I, and you're kind of like in our inner circle, you understand the level of relationship that we have. That's, it's just really strong. A lot of times we call each other our, our soul sisters or our soulmates. Um, 
you know, I have a partner, I have a boyfriend who I love and care for deeply, but I've met, you know, Dula, I met her when I was young and we've just, we've just really aligned so well on so many areas. And the reason that it's worked specifically in our story is that we have shifted business. You know, we've kept a separation between business and friendship when it comes to the emotional side. So I don't try to trump her and she doesn't try to trump me when it comes to decision-making. I've seen with other people who have brands that go in with either, or not just brands, but businesses that go into, uh, a, you know, they go into this uh, atmosphere with either family or friends and it ends up turning really sour. And from what I see or the what I understand from that, sometimes it comes back to ego and that that ego can really hurt you know, the relationship that you have, but I trust her and, and she trusts me. And so when it comes to making a decision on something, either we align, which is a perfect scenario. And then there, you know, we can continue forward. But if we don't align on something, we talk about the pros and the cons, the negatives and the positives. And if some, if one of us feels truly, truly passionate and strong about that idea, we let it go. We say, okay, let's test it out. And if it doesn't work, we go the other route. And so because we've formulated that relationship, if some, and I, and we don't blame each other also, which is important. If something doesn't work out, that was a decision that might've been hers and I disagreed with, we don't blame each other. And so we've taken the ego out and we're just exploring this kind of path together. But the, the, the answer, the simple answer is she's, she's my friend first before she is my partner. And, you know, if we decide tomorrow that we don't want to do this anymore, it's, we, it's a decision we make together. If we decide that we want to explode this to, you know, outside the box and become this massive business, we do so together. You know, everything that we decide, we do it together. Um, and we're not forcing anything on each other. It's just been nice working with my, with my best friend. And I know that's not always the case for someone else um, because oftentimes it does go sour, but she's my support system. And I cannot imagine doing this without her or doing this alone. They say, an, you know, the world of an entrepreneur is a very lonely road. Very. I definitely align with that. I agree so much every time I hear it. And it's said so often because it is so true. But if I didn't have her by my side, this wouldn't be as fun. I don't think we'd be as successful. I don't think we'd be as creative. And I don't know if I'd want to do it. Um, but I'm lucky in that way that I that I found a business partner that that I really enjoy working with every single day. You said it so beautifully um, said, and I think I, I fully agree with everything you said. It all goes down to respect and leaving the ego aside. When you when you hear about stories that go sour, it all comes down to the ego. Yeah, uh, and it's the moment that you guys are very aligned with the same values of the business, and there is so much respect and love as both of you have, I mean, of course, like friendship will always be before, before the business. Are the roles divided or you guys both are very ingrained into the same thing with the same position as co-founders? So in the beginning it was, we did everything together. Uh, and that's because we were figuring it out. We put our, our entrepreneur caps on our leadership roles, like had to get tuned in and we were go, go, go. So it was a lot of what are, how are we going to build? Cause we, we manufacture a lot of the jewelry that we make. We manufacture it 
in in our studio. And so that there's a whole factory manufacturing component to to what we do as well. We don't just, hey, here's a purchase order to a to a factory and then deliver it, which I know has its challenges in itself. But we had to figure out how to create, you know, a whole operational procedure together. And so in the first formative years, which was probably the first three years, we did a lot of the design and the operations together. And then we realized that it was a huge time crunch or a, a huge time vampire, really. It was just absorbing a lot of time from both of us. And what we would, so we would do operations during the day. And then at night we'd, we'd work late into the hours and that's when we do all of the design together. So all the creative, that's where we build all the collections. We'd start experimenting. Um, those were the best days because we heard I would just sit there, we'd play music and we'd make jewelry and we'd craft things and we'd get creative. And it's kind of changed now since then. Um, now she handles all of the uh, designs and I handle all of the operation. And she and I still sit in on all design meetings and every single design and creative marketing, both the collections and marketing, we decide together. But she handles and oversees all of that while I handle and oversee all of operations and production. The goal is for one day, you know, when we get to a place where we can have the right team set in place that and all of our operations are kind of really smooth scale that I can go and jump back into design which is where I feel where I feel like I'll I'll just be happiest and love most and um her and I can continue to grow that 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 area of course and ready to wear I love by the way love the ready to wear I'm actually before before getting into the podcast I was on your website and I was literally I've added to cart two times um, let's talk about ready to wear. How that transition happened? Tell us a little bit about that transition from accessories to ready to wear now. Of course. So, like we've learned, you know, and how I explained, Ilu started as kind of a very organic project where it happened to be jewelry. But when we decided that, you know, once this started getting off the ground and running, we realized that there was so much more that we wanted to give. And now that we were developing a brand, we didn't want it to just be categorized in jewelry because we had so many, so many other ideas. And the best part about having Elio is that it's a creative outlet and where we can put forth all these ideas that we have and see them and bring them to fruition. And so we would shoot the jewelry. It kind of started by shooting the jewelry. And we realized that the way we shot, we shoot the product on body we didn't have the right blouse or the right top and everything we found just wasn't right. And so we were like, we should just, we made a set, we made a, a, a top and a pair of shorts. And it was this like made of hundred percent cotton, really cute little like summer set. And we were, that was the first piece we made. And the whole intention was, okay, now we have a blouse to shoot our jewelry on. And, um, you know, and we explored that and we sold that set and it sold really, really well. And that was an experience experimental. It was literally just one top and one pair of shorts. And then we decided we enjoyed the process. We loved doing it. Why don't we, you know, play around and see what we can do by developing a unisex co uh, collection of, for, uh, for ready to wear. And Duda's mom has extensive history in production. She also is a pattern maker. She lives in Brazil and her mom is one of seven women uh, so they have they're they're a group of seven sisters, and five of the seven have experience have seamstress experience. Um, they also know how to crochet and embroider. And we thought, okay, well, you know, we'll go to Brazil, we'll develop this collection there, 
And her family has been a huge and integral part with the bringing this whole concept to life. And we buy dead stock fabric. And her mom does all of our pattern making and handles uh, the production in Brazil for us. Uh, Duda also works with her. And then her aunts help with uh, crocheting and embroidery because we do a lot of hand crocheting. Um, and they've just been this huge and this huge part of growing this whole other aspect to the brand. And now I cannot see Elio without having the apparel side. And it's just become this full, you know, lifestyle. The idea is to make it a full lifestyle brand and eventually start offering sunglasses. And, you know, one day when we're ready, extend that into footwear and other accessories. Um, and it just feels like the natural path for us. Because as okay. I sit here and we make jewelry, I don't just think about earrings and necklaces. I think about like, what's the outfit that we're wearing with this earring, but we also need a shoe now and where's the bag? And I want to create that whole experience through in, you know, by providing all those products in in the way that we see it and developing, continuing to develop our world. So that's where we see this growing, you know, outside of just clothes and jewelry. Makes total sense. And the ready to wear is so, um, it's, it's so similar. It's so, when you look at the ready to wear, it's very much, you're looking at the accessories and I can totally see this. Like I could totally visualize this adorable shops in the south of France or in the Italian Riviera or like mom or like inside shop in shops. Like I could totally see it like a resort lifestyle brand of having ready to wear bags, shoes, um, home exec, home accents. Like it just makes total sense. Like it transports you, you know, to a whole resort world that you want to wear when you're on vacation. Yeah, that's the whole idea. Um, so what can we expect on the brand for the next few months to come? Yeah. So we just opened up our showroom, um, which will be also a, a little store and it's in Little River. We're having our grand opening, um, on Saturday and now you can come and shop all the pieces permanently here in Miami. Um, the store sits in front of where we produce and design everything in our little um, studio. So if you pop in the store, you'll kind of get to see where all the magic happens in the back. And uh, which is the best part because you can see, you know, all the labor and love that goes into every single thing that we do. Um, but I'm so excited to finally have a store in Miami where people can touch and feel all, you know, all the work that we put into every single piece. That's, that's the biggest thing ahead. Yeah, That's so exciting. I love it. That's wonderful. Huge congrats. I will make sure to to come by. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love that. What advice would you give to, what advice, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are designers. What advice would you give to them listening to us right now um, that, you know, they're struggling. They haven't had that silver lining that both of you had um, for whatever reason. Um, they haven't had that first peel from that apartheid. Um, they haven't had Harry Styles wearing their pieces. That, by the way, he's the best ambassador that you guys could potentially organically have. Um, I feel like when you guys design, he, I can't think of anyone more on brand for this than him. Um, what advice would you give him? Yeah, I mean, though we've we've had moments of luck, you know, I I can't you can't take away the grit and grind that's been put forth and not put forth towards everything that we do. And it didn't just happen when we, you know, when we, when Elio came to life, it happened in all the years before that and all the creative skill sets that we've 
gained and honed in on before this brand came to be. And so I think perseverance is key. I think being obsessed and incredibly passionate about what you're doing is vital for the growth and success of your business. It's not something you can put half your heart into. It's your full, your whole heart. At least that's the way that I've experienced it. Um, and one of the things that I've noticed where I feel some brands, you know, where they become ideas and and small projects and something that someone tests, if they they don't live out because persevere, the perseverance needs to be there. And sometimes that can be hard um, to keep going, to keep pushing forward, to keep having faith and believe in yourself and offer something different, you know, do something that people haven't seen, keep it exciting um, and, and be true to yourself and your story and keep the story alive for why you're even doing what you're doing and people will resonate. And I feel like those are the main points. That's wonderful. You said something that's so true. And I of, I often talk about that, which is people think of that you can accomplish something in just three, four years. They think, but what they don't understand is like when you guys were working on this creative agency, you were already creating, you know, a, a name for both of yourselves and you guys were hustling nonstop and getting, a you know, relationships, strong relationships in the industry that's when it all started, you know, like, it's like, you know, it didn't just start when you guys launched a brand, you know? So I think that is, you said something that's very valid that I always talk about to entrepreneurs that they think of people's success, that they could happen from one day to another. They don't really understand that like everything, everything that you've done in your life has led to where you are today, you know? Exactly. I never thought that I'd be here, you know, with a team of 10 people having a jewelry and ready to wear line. Um, when I was 24 years old, building a creative agency, but everything that I learned through the production side of services and, you know, the hustle and grind of starting one business and the creativity that I gained from that got me here. And it supported every single thing and decision that we've, we've made. And I, you can't have one without the other. You need the experience, you need the grind, you need the perseverance and the faith. It was wonderful talking to you. Um, I'm super excited. Um, every podcast that we end with the same way, which is, I always ask each of the people that I'm interviewing, what's your why? I'm obsessed with seeing my idea come to life. That's my why. I just, it's, I've always been that person. If, if I have an idea sitting with it and not, not bringing it to fruition causes me more frustrations. I just have, I love, that's the best part about it is when, when you see all the hard work come together and you've built something beautiful and and you can sit back and relish and enjoy what you've made. And that has always been with every single thing that I've done and every, you know, my past businesses and past other careers. I just love seeing the finished product. You're a doer. That's wonderful. Christina, thanks so much for your time today. It was really wonderful speaking with you. Likewise. Thank you so much. I enjoyed every part of it. We hope that you have enjoyed this conversation. You can email us your suggestions on who you would like to hear in our next episode. If you like this chapter, don't forget to leave a comment or rank this podcast. We really appreciate your feedback. Also, remember, you can follow us on Instagram at Latin American Fashion Summit and on Tribu by Laughs, a new platform that will revolutionize the way in which the fashion industry connects. Thanks for tuning in onto the Laughs Podcast.